So if you've been with us, we saw uh, in our first part in Luke, the first four verses, kind of Luke's introduction to his gospel. He says he's writing to give Theophilus, who is the, the main recipient, and also his readers, being us, assurance. We saw that in verse 4 of chapter 1. Assurance in the things that we've been taught. The assurance of the gospel. The life, the death, the person, the work of Jesus Christ, the God-man. We saw a little bit in chapter 1 that the reason we can be sure is because God has spoken. We know it's true because God has spoken. And Luke has been writing all this to reassure us over and over. Uh, like last, I think a couple of weeks ago, we looked at that God performs his word. He keeps his promises. There was that part, I believe it was, uh, I don't even remember what passage, but it was over and over about, yep, this was written by the prophets. Yep, this is done because of, this is what Gabriel said. It was over and over, God keeps his word. And Luke's reassuring this for us. And this morning, as we continue in Luke, as, as John read us the section here, we will continue to see Luke recording the glories of our salvation. We will see that. But we also see someone else in this passage. And we see a question that arises. And that question is, how long? How long shall I wait? How long till God steps in and does something? How long till the next step is obvious? And I'm sure that we all can relate with this in some way. It just might take a different form. How long till God answers that prayer that I've been praying for weeks and months? How long till God saves my mom, my son, my friend, my spouse? How long till God heals? How long till God provides the money to pay these bills? How long till he relieves my worry and my anxiety? How long till he pours out grace upon my spouse so that they forgive me? How long till I see my spouse again? And how long till God sends me a spouse? How long? And this may not consume our attention, this question of how long, but there's this, this, this constant yearning. Lord, how long? How long do I have to wait? So this morning we see someone who has that question. That's Simeon. How long do I wait? And God gave him a promise. And you waited. And you waited. Who knows how long? And you waited. And God, in our passage today, he answers that promise. He keeps his promise. It's the promise of the Messiah, the Christ. So today, as we jump into this, we will see our grand salvation again painted by Luke. He'll tell us, and very interesting, we'll get into, an effect that the, the Christ will have, the rising, the falling. We'll get to that. But we also see the man Simeon, a man who waited on God, possibly for decades, possibly the majority of his life, he waited for a promise. A man who we can relate with, who asks, how long? So if you have not yet, please open your Bible to Luke chapter 2 or your phone, uh, iPad, whatever it is. If you don't, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew. Page 805, if you use that Bible, is where we're going to be at. So Luke chapter 2. And we're going to break it up into about four sections that just kind of give us an easy layout for this account here. 
And this first part is the setting. Luke sets this up. This will be verse 22-24. Follow with me. He says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turb doves or two young pigeons. So what is going on here? Well, remember, right before this, Jesus is born. And that was an incredible account in of itself. Joseph and Mary are obedient to God and what God has commanded. So they circumcise Jesus. They name Jesus, Jesus, as God said through Gabriel to do. And now they're going to the temple for a purification. And that's because God's law says, and this is for a purification, like a ceremonial purification for the wife. Uh, because after, after she gives birth, she's unclean for seven days. And then for a male child, she should be confined for another 33 days and then come to the temple to be purified, to be ceremonially purified. So long story short, she's coming because she's obedient to God and she's following the law of God. But on as, as well for that, Jesus comes. They bring the newborn Jesus. So Jesus is literally at this time 40 days old. Just a young little guy. They bring him. And so to present him to the Lord. Why? And you see this kind of in the passage uh, where it, it, um, it quotes the Old Testament. It says, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. In Numbers 18, Levi's family, the Levites, the sons are required to be priests. That's why we see the Levites, Aaron and Moses. Aaron was a Levite. The priests come from the line of Levi. All the other families must give this redemption, this this cost for their sons. And so that's why they come to present Jesus. Long story short, they're being obedient. So they come to the temple and they present Jesus. And there's the setting. Jerusalem, the temple, in obedience on, on Jesus' parents. And you have the newborn Jesus, right? So there's the setting. Keep in mind, the temple is not a private place. This is a massive place. This is like the center of worship. Possibly the center of social situations. And possibly the center or a very large, a large part of the economy is the temple. So this is at, not at all a private place. This is a very public place. So they come. 25:26 is the promise. The promise to sin that he's waiting for. 25:26 says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It's interesting here with Simeon. We don't really know how old he is. There's, from the evidence, it seems like he's an older guy. We don't know what he does. That's not written. But what's written about him is his character, his spiritual condition. He's righteous. He's just. The Holy Spirit was upon him, which was very unique in the Old Testament. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Kind of two things. One, the deliverance of Israel. If you remember Zacchaeus, or Zechariah, I should say, who, who spoke about Jesus and, and John the Baptist, he talked about the deliverance of Israel. Here, Simeon's waiting for this, but also what the Jewish rabbis have called the Messiah's comfort, the comfort of the Messiah. And we see this in Isaiah 61. Let, listen, see if this is familiar to you. Isaiah 61. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Does that sound familiar? Maybe, maybe not. But that's the passage that Jesus preaches from to start his public ministry in Nazareth. That's what he picks. That's the passage he picks to proclaim, that is me. Today, that passage has been filled in your hearing. That's the passage he picks. This consolation of Israel, the comfort of the Messiah. So Simeon waits. He's waiting. He's waiting. And it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, like I mentioned, there's not much described about Simeon except for his spiritual condition. But it seems like he's not a priest. He, he's just a layman. He's a normal guy. But what makes him extraordinary is God's presence. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And then the promise. The Holy Spirit revealed to him a very unusual privilege in the Bible that before he dies, he will see the Christ. Now let me stop there. How long? Who knows how long ago that that, that was revealed to him? How long? It could have been the majority of Simeon's life. Decades could have went by. He waited. He longed for He yearned. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it is hard to believe that there wasn't days that have gone by where he was disappointed that it hasn't come yet. There had to be times when this great man came to the temple with great charisma, a great following, lots of money. It seems like people are following and Simeon's getting excited. This, this is it. Here's the Christ. And it became very clear it wasn't. And what disappointment. There's had to be days like that for Simeon where it seems like it's right around the corner. The clouds are lifting. It's coming. But it wasn't. How long? So Simeon waited, holding on to this promise. But lucky for us, we see in our passage this promise fulfilled. Simeon, it could have been years and years, but we see this fulfilled. Verse 27, look at this. And he came in the spirit in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So here it is. Finally, the day at last has come. The answer is here. About time. Simeon's been waiting for this. And imagine, so this newborn Jesus, 40 years old, I'm not sure uh, for the mothers here, if like your first kid, you were very protective. So they come in and Simeon, imagine his excitement. This is it. I mean, it's a baby by itself. So there's that excitement. I just want to cuddle it and whatnot, right? But on top of that, this is what he's been waiting for. He grabs, as he grabs the baby, what excitement. He's hanging on to literally the salvation he's been waiting for, the one who will die for him. The long-awaited promise, here he is. Simeon grabs him, and he just blesses God. He says this, Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. God has fulfilled his promise. He can now die. And how could he die? In peace. Why? Because he sees that God is sovereign. God keeps us his promise. 
Everything's fine because God performs his word. Let me do a quick aside here. This depart in peace, this die in peace. Matthew Henry, he said this. Those and those only can with courage see death and look it in the face without terror that have had by faith a sight of Christ. What is he saying? It is in Christ alone that we can look at death and have peace, like Simeon. As the song goes, no guilt in life, no fear in death. As those of us who hope in Christ, we don't need to fear death because we know what's happening afterwards. Sure, uh, like me, you might have a fear of the unknown in the sense of, I don't know exactly how it's going to be. I have no idea exactly what's going to be. I, it's clearly told us, but it doesn't tell us exactly what it's going to be like. There might be a lingering anxiety about death in the sense of, well, what if he's disappointed in me? What if he thinks I didn't do enough? What if he just kind of lets me in? Like, ah, shucks, he's here, let's let him in. What if it's like that? The thing is, we don't need to fear this. God's word tells us, without Christ, yes, he will be disappointed. Without Christ, yes, he's not going to let you in. But with Christ, Jesus has paid it all. He is going to be excited and fantastic for us. Why? Because of Christ alone. And so we can have peace in death just like Simeon. And with this in mind, we can don't give up. Simeon did not give up. He was waiting and he was waiting. Most likely he was getting old, but he did not give up. And continuing on, he emphasizes according to your words what he says. And we see this all over Luke. All over. This theme is what runs through chapter 1 and chapter 2, according to God's word. Gabriel said this, God's word, and it's happening. They referred back to David, to Abraham, the promises to them. This is happening over and over according to God's word. We see this. We saw this all throughout. Luke is trying to give us assurance. And he's laying this foundation of God keeps his word. Chapters 1 and 2, God keeps his word. And that's the foundation of our assurance. Uh, some pastors you may listen to, or motivational speakers for that matter, might say something to the fact of, or refer to the deathbed like, hey, no one on the deathbed is going to look back and say, hey, I wish I watched more TV. Or I wish I spent more money or made more money. No one's going to say that, right? They, they refer to the deathbed. Well, it seems clear from Luke 1 and chapter 2 here, no one on their deathbed is going to look back and say, I wish I wasn't trusting God for that. I wish I wasn't holding on that promise that God said. No one's going to say it on their deathbed. Many, it seems like, will have a regret that I wish that in that conflict, I would have held to what God said. I wish when money was small in a short supply, I wish I would have held on that promise. And I pray for us both that we will not have that regret on that day. But Simeon held on to this. It was according to your word, God, that I would see the Christ And so here I am, and I can depart in peace. Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He clearly ties salvation to Jesus. Jesus alone. Nothing else, no one else, no other theory, no other way, no other strategy, no one else is Jesus. Exclusively in Jesus. Is that offensive? Yes, it offends all our pride. It offends everyone. 
Jesus alone is salvation. Psalm 98 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Not only that, but he says that you have prepared. God has done this. It is God who has prepared this, Simeon says. Uh, at the very beginning, Genesis 1, everything's really cool, right? Everything's created. We like fishing. We like hunting. Yep, praise God. Everything's created. Woman's created. Men's created. Awesome. Fantastic. Genesis 2, things go right down the toilet really fast, it seems like, right? In the midst of that, in the midst of God sharing, this is the effects of your sin, both to the, the serpent, the woman, and the man. In the midst, when he's talking to the woman, he gives us a shadow of the gospel. There would be enmity between you, the snake, and her, her son or her descendant. You will strike the seal, but he will crush your head, referring to the gospel. Jesus is coming. So from the very beginning, God has been preparing this. He took Abram from Ur, and from him, God gave him promises, which we read about blessing his family, and then through him, the nations will be blessed. We read in Galatians, if you remember back in Galatians, that clearly referred to, Paul says, to the Gentiles, which I believe most of us here are Gentiles. Praise God. That includes us as well. And then all throughout, God has been speaking to the prophets about these promises and these prophecies of this one to come. God has prepared this. And so here it is. What God has prepared is now realized in this 40-day-year-old boy, Jewish boy, named Jesus. What God has prepared is now realized. And Simeon's there. He was promised to see this. He says, a light of revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of Israel. This kind of, an echo back to chapter 179 with Zechariah, he says about like the about God through the Messiah to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. This revelation to the Gentiles, this this knowledge of salvation, the light, and praise God again for the Gentiles, because that's me, and I'm very happy that I'm included within this as you are as well, and to and to glory to Israel, the salvation that specifically Israel's glory, because it is through them that the Messiah came. So Zechariah says all this, and this again is in the temple. It's not private. Most likely a lot of people are listening to this, this, this excitement from Zechariah. And how does Joseph and Mary respond? They're like, what is going on? They marvel. It seems like it's just revelation after revelation about their son, who's 40 days old, and this is what they're hearing about their son Jesus. And they're like, wow. So two things. Number one, God fulfilled his promise. A promise Simeon has been waiting for. And number two, that fulfillment is beyond words. It is Christ the Lord himself. God's word comes to pass. He performs his word. He keeps it. But does it stop there? He goes on. This prophecy about Christ. Uh, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. I'm not sure why specifically Mary. Maybe because Joseph seems to be out of the picture just past this, this account here. Turns to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that 
the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And we'll get to that, but let me follow up with this continued prophecy with Anna. So there, 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel in the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Interesting that her character and her spiritual condition is described just like with Simeon. 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of, of Jerusalem. So God fulfills his promise. Simeon finally saw the Christ, and now he continues. All right, this Christ he saw, this is the effect he's going to have. And this is what he says. Is it all flowers and butterflies and rainbows? Not even close. He says, for the falling and rising of many in Israel. Listen to this. This is from Isaiah 8. Speaking of the Messiah. And, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense. And a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. A repeated thing throughout the New Testament you might uh, read is um, the corner, the what the stumbling block that they stumbled over became the cornerstone. I think that's in Ephesians. I think Paul uses that verse quite a bit. Some will trust in Christ and rise. Others will not and they will fall. He says, a sign that is opposed. There's going to be opposition. Jesus will be opposed, he'll be resisted, and he'll be hated. He will cause Extreme contention. And we see that working out within Israel, especially when he's crucified. So what does this mean? And we will see this through Luke as this is brought up. Jesus forces you to make a choice. He forces you to decide. And as a result, some will rise and some will fall. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not. There's no in-between. There's no riding the fence. Because if you ride the fence, you're actually making a choice that he's not Lord of all. I've been going through uh, the book of John with another guy here at church. And it's been interesting because it seems like every single chapter we read, there is division caused by Jesus. And I mean that because of what he says. The truth causes division. Let me give you four examples of this. This, this falling and rising of Israel, this opposition to the sign. This is John chapter 1. John writes this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who received him, and those who did not. Chapter 3. And John, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Those who love their sin therefore hate the light and stay away from the light, and then those who come to the light, even though their works will be exposed. Uh, this is in chapter 6 of John. Listen to this. This was very interesting. When many of his disciples heard it, so he had a great following at this time, and he says some stuff, and then this is the, the outcome. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. 
Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, seemingly, everyone else left except for these, it seems like, do you want to go away as well? So those who remained, he says, oh, you want to leave as well? Simon Peter answered to them, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we, have, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Hard sayings, people take an offense, people leave never to return. Last part in John here, this, uh, in chapter 7, says this. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this is, really is the prophet, referring to Jesus. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Division among the people. So my point in saying this, there's no middle ground. He says, Jesus is coming. This Christ you've been waiting for, Simon? Yeah, he's going to come. And there's going to be some who fall and some who rise. There's no middle ground. There's going to be this division. Those who believe and those who don't. Those who submit to his lordship and those who don't. A sign opposed, Luke says, or Simeon says here. The ruin of people is going to be opposing Christ. It's not like this rock fell on them, but they're opposing this rock. One pastor said this. The ambition or fury of the enemies of the gospel carries them in various directions. Faction splits them into various sects, and a wide variety of superstitions distinguishes idolaters from each other. But while they thus differ among themselves, they all agree in this, to oppose the Son of God. And what does he mean by this? There will be opposition, and it will look really different. There will be those who just straight out hate Jesus, absolutely hate him. There will be those who say, yep, that is not who he says he is. There will be those who go to church and inwardly do not believe. There will be those who outwardly live a moral life, but, but do not believe in Jesus. There might be those who don't believe in God, therefore think they can justify not submitting to Christ. But the point being that all this opposition, they take various forms, but they all have one thing in common. They will oppose Jesus, just like God said through Simeon, a sign opposed. So the question for us is, shall we rise with Christ or shall we fall by Christ? And in the midst of this, almost as an aside, he turns to Mary and he says, a sword will pierce through your soul. A sword will pierce through you. How about hearing that from someone like, uh, where is it, Max and Ashley? At your dedication. What if I said that? That would be like, well, this doesn't sound very nice. A sword will pierce through your soul. What does that mean? Jesus will bring you serious, extreme emotional pain, Mary. He's going to force people to make decisions. Your kids, Mary, his siblings, they're not going to believe. They're actually going to make fun of him at different times while he's alive on, on, on the earth. Jesus will be the suffering servant, no doubt foreshadowing the crucifixion. Can you imagine being the parent of one of those people who got beheaded on the ISIS videos? Can you imagine that? Mary's being told, this is going to happen. This is going to happen to you. Salvation is not cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. 
Jesus was opposed, he was hated, he was resented, he was accused, he was blamed, he was convicted, he was tortured, he was crucified, all to pay for your salvation and mine. Then Simeon ends with, from all this, the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Jesus' ministry exposes hearts. Nothing can be hidden. The writer of Hebrews says this about the word of God. Very similar. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is one of the many reasons why we should be in God's word, because it exposes our hearts. So he'll expose people for who they really are. He'll be opposed. People will fall, people will rise, and you'll expose the thoughts. This is not like kids, uh, like as you probably remember, babysat kids, where at a certain stage, their brain's still developing, so when they can't see mommy, mommy doesn't exist, right, in, in their minds. That's not even close to the case here. Because some people may not see the sin that we may be hiding, but there's one who sees, and he's the one that we must give account Hypocrisy will be exposed. We can't hide it forever. But the good news is, Jesus will forgive you if you come to him and trust in him. So Simeon's saying this about the one the one he's been waiting for. He will cause division, the falling and rising. He'll be opposed. The hearts will be exposed. If that's not enough, now comes Anna, a prophetess. And again, just like Simeon, she is described as just, uh, her spiritual condition is overwhelmingly all things godly. It says that she, can, she can't stay away from the temple. She's fasting. She's praying. She is quite the woman. We see here that uh, she was married. And this was kind of a confusing section of different parts. But she was married for seven years. And so if she gets married an average at that time, about 13 or 14. Then she got widowed. Her husband died about 20, 21 years old. And then... For the next possibly up to 84 years old, she stayed a widow to focus on God. And let me do another side here. Please note, she did not put herself out to pasture. She's old, and it's clear in this, but she did not put herself out. She is not done. If, if you're here and you're older today, do not buy the lie from our culture that, hey, you're past your prime, you're no longer really much use. And that's the biggest lie, and the scripture makes that very clear. The young people need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. I text so many older people, it's ridiculous. They're probably sick of me texting them. We saw on Mother's Day in Titus where it tells the older, older ladies, the younger ladies need you. They need to be taught what it's like to be a young woman. Titus clearly, uh, Paul through Titus clearly says that. The young men, we need your experience. We need to hear the stories of what God has done. We need, and do not ever look down on prayer. We need your prayer. I need your prayer. The families, our church need your prayer. Our church family, our community, President Trump, Governor Waltz, we need your prayers. So do not ever put yourself out to pasture because Anna did not, Simeon did not, Moses. I, I forgot who I was just telling this to. Moses was 80 years old when he started leading Israel, 80 years old. He did that for 40 years to 120. That's old. <laughs> What's that? That's an old guy. 
But at 80 years old, he takes up one of the greatest leadership positions. At 80 years old, God was not done. So do not give up. Do not put yourself out to pasture because God is not done. Coming back. And it says, at that very hour, that very hour that Simeon, his, the promise was fulfilled, that he was been waiting for this whole time, finally. And it's at that hour that she began giving thanks and speaking of him. Was she there present, seeing us? Possibly. But she was speaking to them all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, the consolation of Israel, the Messiah's comfort. Uh, listen from Isaiah again. Break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So here it is, what Simeon's been waiting for, possibly for a long time. He is telling this is the Christ, and he's bringing in. Some will fall, some will rise. There'll be serious contention. There'll be opposition. Mary, it's not going to be fun. If I can paraphrase, it's not going to be a good time for you in that sense. Anna says, this is it. We've been waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here he is. And then the, the end, which is kind of a transition to our passage, Lord willing, in two weeks. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their town, to their own town, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of, the God, of God was upon him. So they returned to Galilee. Let me stop there. Quick aside, I know I'm making a lot of sides. Matthew says they went into Egypt, right? Here's how we reconcile it. They're, they're not focusing on chronolog- chronological order. That's not, with us, everything's chronological. That's how our minds are. That's not their purpose here. Their purpose is they're laying things out. And so, yeah, sure, they went to Galilee, but eventually, Luke is saying, they went back to Galilee. Or, I'm not sure if I said it. But they went to Egypt, yep, but they went back to Galilee. So they're not trying to make it chronological, but they're focusing on different things. So there's no tension there. But we see here that the child grows. And if you remember, it said the same exact thing about John the Baptist, but all the more greater in Jesus. The favor of the Lord was upon him. John the Baptist was the forerunner, and we'll see that. We'll work into that. And he points everything, he points to Christ. Because Jesus is the one. He's the one that's been waited for. Um, another quick aside. This kid was perfect. So this growing must have been very hard. Anyway, coming back. So here's the point. If I can... Co- Put this to a conclusion here. Simeon waited and waited and waited. He waited. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for this promise that you will see the Christ before you die. And for us today, in terms of salvation, you do not need to wait. Because he has come. The Christ has come. The consolation of Israel, he has come. So if you're here today, today is the day of salvation. You don't need to wait. Today is the day. Now, to us believers, at the end of the sermon, a couple of weeks ago, and I get the, my weeks all messed up, a few weeks ago, at the end of it, and it was the one that we're talking about, God performs his word, I listed, kind of an extensive list, if I got sick of me saying it, a bunch of promises of God, if I remember. And we hold on to these promises, and it seems like sometimes God just does not answer or we just do not see these promises being played out. And so you are maybe here today asking, how long? How long? I've prayed and prayed, but the anxiety is still there. I seek first the kingdom of God, but these bills keep on mounting up. 
I've casted my cares on him, but they continue to weigh me down. I've withheld, taken vengeance, but God still hasn't done anything to avenge me. I've trusted God to work everything for good, but it seems like nothing good is coming from this. How long must I wait? It may be longer. But be assured, God answers. God keeps his word. It may be longer, but be assured that God is working in you right now. One guy has said, God often shapes the details of our lives into stories that cause our faith to be stretched. He teaches us to wait on him even when we would prefer to do otherwise. He teaches us to rest in him even when we would prefer to play God. Be assured that as you wait here, God's not wasting this time. He's working in you. And so how long must I wait? It may be longer, but be assured that God will carry you through during this time. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Some of you may have it memorized. I know Ryan should. It's on your Bible cover, is it not, Ryan? Yep, it is. Yep, I'm a creep. Welcome to my life. (laughs) But this verse, listen to what Isaiah says here. He says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So during this time when we wait, whatever you're waiting for, because we're all waiting for something, God is using this, and he is here to sustain us, and he can mount us up with wings like eagles. So I don't know what you're waiting for. I know what I'm waiting for. But God will keep his word. And Luke has been making a huge point of that. God will keep his word. He performs his word. And he reassures us of this. And while we wait, while we wait, we can still sing, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. And we're going to end today with that song. That even while we wait, and we might be waiting for something huge, we can still sing, It is well with my soul, because Christ has come. As Simeon was waiting for, He has come. And praise God. So let's, let's worship together and sing and proclaim, even during this time, It is well with my soul.